Welcome to episode 488 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 488 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yus and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good. Not not much like the rest of New Zealand. I'll tell you what, John. There's a game of sport on in the world over the weekend. What happened, Jonbo? We took the W. We took the win. We smashed the Australians. It was actually a pretty exciting game, wasn't it? It was. The parts that I saw was really exciting. Did you actually watch the whole game? Of course. Of course you have. So I actually got an email, John, if I put up the show notes, which I haven't got in front of me here right now, I got an email from someone this week saying, can you do sports talk more often? Not just triathlon. <laughs> People are loving the sports talk, John. I'm sure they They're are. loving hearing about the All Blacks, the world champion All Blacks. John, it was a great day in New Zealand. It was. Great day in New Zealand. So what happened was Australia came along. We pretty much dominated for the first half of the game. First mm-hmm. probably 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then we got a red card. So yellow got card. Yellow card. Got a guy called Ben Smith got sent off the field for a few minutes. And Australia made a comeback. Mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. two tries. And they were starting to get momentum, weren't they? A little bit. It was a Still little bit scary. Confident. They got to with four points within. And mm-hmm. it's a little bit scary. But then Dan Carter, the old droppy, mm-hmm. then penalty. And then mm-hmm. try at the end. Fantastic. Oh, Easy victory. Do you know what we are? The world champions. We are the champions, my friend. Only team to ever back it up. Back it up. Yeah, back it up two times in a row. Pretty, pretty convincing. Cool. Pretty cool. So, so I was talking to you about how could I get to the to the parents-in-law's house without finding the result. Mm-hmm. So I came in, I flew in on from LA, mm-hmm. and the game was happening while I was flying in. I arrived at eight in the morning. Now on the plane, when I got on the plane, I said to the flight attendants, "Please don't say the result over the over yeah. the thing." And they said, "No, we're not going to. What we'll do is, if you want to hear the result, you can ask us. But otherwise, yeah. we're not going to say." So that was cool. Got off the plane, put my hood on. Yeah. Like I was I was gangster nineteen nineties in Compton, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. I was boys in the hood style. Had music I hurt my ears. I basically had music okay. pumping my ears for the for three hours nonstop. Yeah. Because I had two hours delay or stopover in Auckland. Oh, at no. the airport. Yeah. So I walked through the airport, literally just following shoes in front of me, had music mm-hmm. pumping, just look at my iPhone so I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't mm-hmm. like I didn't want to see anyone's facial expressions or anything. Mm-hmm. Get through the airport. Get to the uh, domestic, find a little spot, find a spot in the middle of nowhere by myself, and then a guy comes and sits next to me, and he's <laughs> checking his phone all bloody time, and again, I'm just thinking, you idiot, what are you saying? Like, there's a thousand, so it's one of those, you know, there's a million seats, and a guy comes mm. and sits next to me. So I'm just thinking, oh, you schmuck, and, but I didn't look at his phone, I was just keep my focus, got on the plane. My big concern on the plane was, because right now mm-hmm. on the, in Air New Zealand, they have the video, the, the safety video, safety. is the All Blacks. Yeah. So I thought... People might cheer if they've won. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when they, that came down, I thought, oh, people might cheer. So, again, I kept my head down. Music was seriously hurting my ears. I just had rock music on going mm-hmm. crazy. So I couldn't see if that happened. Got off the plane. Joe was there. I had to ignore her pretty much. She wanted a mm-hmm. kiss. So I was, uh, was here to drop down low and come under for the kiss. Yeah. And got out of the airport, John. Didn't find out the result. Very well done. I was pretty happy with that. Got to the parents of law, the father dropped the hint. Oh, <laughs> so, it's so. going to be pretty obvious, isn't it? I, I have to admit, I didn't really know, but I did just a couple of things. There was, a, there was a couple of things that went, oh, maybe we have won it, and a couple of things that maybe thought, oh, maybe we haven't. So I didn't really know. So it was, mm. you know, it was 
Yeah, it was as good as it was going to get. Very Because another guy I just met at the gym, gym this morning, I saw him on the plane, and I said, oh, did you manage to see it? And he said, no, I found out straight away. If you <laughs> looked at the faces of the people on the plane, it was really obvious. So mm. I was pretty happy with that, John. Complex, world championships. All you people who wrote to us over the last few weeks, your teams did well, but, but only one team wins. Exactly. I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. And our fantastic team of patrons. And you're going to name some Jumbo? Uh, no, not this week. <laughs> maybe maybe a pause. I'll get some. I, we should do that. I've got... Okay, uh, just do a pause. We are back, Jumbo. Who are the patrons? Those fantastic patrons. Craig, the Time Lord McCarthy. Oh, this is a good one. A- Anthony, the Force Lucas. The Force John. How, how far away is it to the release of Star Wars? We just booked our tickets yesterday. Did you really? 3D in uh, Nelson on opening day. What day's opening day? Thursday, the 17th of December. So you're down there for a criteria or something, are yep. you? Yep. 3D as well. That's even going to make it real awesome. Oh, I have to admit. I'm pretty excited about it. Mm. I'm not a big star. I'm not a geek out guy. I don't know who did what and what was. Come around to our place. Thomas will give you some lessons. Is he right into it? Is he big time? Big time. Mm. Do you think that they they're gonna fail just because the expectation's so high? No, you don't. No. Look, I think JJ Albums is mm. great hands. Like look what he did with Star Trek, and he wasn't even a big fan of Star Trek. So I think it's in safe hands. But it's it's the expectation's so high. Mm. Expectations high with Spectre as well. Apparently, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the job. <laughs> Pop culture Newsome. Yeah. I'm going to start calling you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Adrian Grand Slam Maisie. David. Who tells all the ladies? <laughs> David Sweet Justice Sobel and Connor Sensational Sanders. <laughs> Sensational All Blacks. Okay, guys, we've got a bit of news coming up. We've got a bit of a couple of interviews, actually. So, Jombo, who did you interview? Scott Iart, who... Have we interviewed him before? <laughs> I thought I knew the name. And so did I. I thought, that name that sounds familiar. Um, and we had an email in from Scott Rice saying, oh, you've got to get this guy on the show. I thought, oh, yeah. And then I went when I went to invite him onto my onto Skype, I thought, he already he's there. already in there. Yeah. And we had. But then I went back and actually... When did we interview him? It was several years ago. Yeah. Several years ago. Well, the cool thing was, when we interviewed him back then, he was a really good age grouper. But since then, he's been sub nine and um, pretty impressive. So it was uh, good to see the progression and how he has gone to being sub nine, which is very So where was he when we last spoke to him? I think it's about the nine, that 9.15-ish area. Um, So yeah, impressive. So some really good tips that he's got he also does some coaching and yeah just good to hear different ways of tactically racing events different ways of doing nutrition when you are racing the race so yeah well i've just been over in um sweden and la and when i was in la i spent some time with sandra and michael rowe lovely love you couple and uh, michael was an iron man he actually listens to the show and that's how he invited me to stay at their place and uh, so I thought I'd jump on the end do a bit of an interview with him. He's a kind of a traditional age grouper, and it was kind of mm-hmm. cool just to sit down to him and hear a bit of his journey. And so we're going to put that on as well later on in the show. And then we also have some questions and answers at the end. Okay, John, there's a bit of news happening this weekend. So where do you want to start? Bit of funny old, funny old week on the news front. So we must have, we just missed this news coming out last week because I think we recorded a day yeah. early. But Iron Man. Asia Pacific Championships is Melbourne, and Melbourne is no longer race being canned. Well, this year. Uh, oh, you think you think it's going? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's got so it's gone ski for this year. It was supposed to be, I don't know the exact date. It was supposed to be a, a weekend in March. Um, it might have been mid mid to late March, and the reason they had to change it was Formula because the Formula One was coming to town. And they changed the dates, didn't they? Mm. And so Melbourne is a very busy 
sporting city and this is a down to, uh, pretty much not not downtown downtown and I don't know Melbourne I've never been to Melbourne it's a Kilda isn't it it's, yeah, it's a little bit out of downtown it's a but. pretty significant disruption to the city in terms of having the event on in terms of shutting down a, a sort of a freeway so it does have a big impact compared to say other races you know say with New Zealand we've got Ironman Taupo on Wanaka very little disruption to to the roads and a lot of the races in North America you know they're out in destination places as opposed to being in downtown and just from the, the the small events that I know that I that I do, trying to find weekends to put races on. It's, I wanted to add an extra race this summer, and there was literally one day in summer where I could do it where there wasn't a significant clash with another event. So you do it. Uh, we ended up going to the the very tail end of summer. So we had basically February eighth was going to be the about the only day we could do it. But I've ended up going almost out of summer to April the second. Oh, but wow. to find any date that's going to suit between January and March, there was. Nothing. Nothing. And so for an event, the magnitude of this Iron Man, they just it sound so you, like you they, really think that we're not going to see it again? Oh, like I know, I know, I know that's not any based on any facts, but you know that's how we roll. But yeah. but really, um, you, you your feeling is that Melbourne may be a dead thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of speculation before this that it was it was uh, teetering on the. The brink of uh, so then extinction. What where, where does Asia Pacific Championships go? Well, that's the question they're going to have to answer in the next little period. So obviously, this has a massive impact on age groupers who yeah. uh, were committed to doing that race. But they have allocated the slots to three other races. So they're saying mm. that of the seventy-five slots available for this race in twenty sixteen Ironman World Championship, sixty-five will be distributed between Cairns, uh, Ironman New Zealand, and Port Macquarie. So, and the ten remaining slots will be allocated among athletes transferring to another race. So it's a big inconvenience in terms of, A, I don't, I don't know if any of those races are sold out in terms of actually getting into them. I'm pretty sure they're not. And New Zealand doesn't sell out. No, it has in the past. Yeah, but only once, wasn't yes. it? Yes. So there's going to be a big flood of, I guess, you know, two, two to 3,000 extra athletes going into races. One good thing for Ironman, they don't probably really lose much out of this because all those athletes are going to go off and do another race anyway. Mm. So Well, there's the cost of... Logistics of the race. I'm sure yes. to pull out this close has cost them money. Mm. So there's also so <coughs> age groupers. You know, it's the the life of the sport. But for the pros, it's also going to have a fairly big impact because if they don't reallocate this event to another existing Ironman, there's a big pool of money that's going to disappear. Mm. And it's the perfect way also to get your early season points and get your 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 season sort of rolling. And you know, if you'd planned everything out, going right. I really want to get a top five at uh, Melbourne, and that'll really set me up for the season. Then I don't really have to chase the points. So but if you didn't, for, with, just like with New Zealand, Port Macquarie, or Cairns, and New Zealand's the closest one to Melbourne, they didn't say just for this year we're going to make New Zealand the Asia Pacific Championships for the pros. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that, but they've also got to find the money from somewhere because I'd imagine that they get the sponsorship and stuff for Melbourne, maybe through the regional council or whatever so you've got to find the money or they just pull it out of their pocket so oh, so you think the prize money from melbourne would have come from i'm speculating again our factual research here is not well, but extensive is, they don't really reveal much so it is no speculation so yeah i think for the pros it's got a, it's got a really big impact as well so a bit of a shame you know i don't yeah you know, i don't think they had really any any choice in the matter um i don't think they were just trying to find the easy option it sounds like they exhausted all avenues and just couldn't make it happen well it's just it's just really interesting isn't it because 
it goes back to that kind of philosophy that Messick, when he first came onto the role, was that they need big city races, these big iconic events, and it's proving, other than Frankfurt, and that's just more historically there, these big city races just don't work, do they? They don't. Well, I think Melbourne worked. It's just they got... Well, it hasn't. But they got dealt a, a bad deal this year. It's just an event clash. The event was popular. It was getting plenty of people at, uh, at it. Whether or not it was profitable, I don't know. But, yeah, so we've seen New York disappear. Um, Auckland, we had the 70.3. Uh, that was more a case of not getting the numbers. Uh, and Melbourne, yeah, just busy city. But I think... It's a pity because like people seem to like the Melbourne race. Hmm. I I hope it's not gone. Like I I think Melbourne was important, and I think it's you know like when we think of, we really disappointing if they don't have a championship race because the one thing we really like that they've done over the last few years is this: we have a few more races where great pros have a race. Hmm. You know, outside of the championship races now, it's you know it's a one or two horse race, whereas Melbourne's actually had some pretty great races. You know, oh they definitely have a championship race. Um, Do you think they are? But when will they announce it? I suppose is the question because we need to know soon, hmm. and so will the pros because they need to announce it. And um, but you know. Fingers crossed they can sort that out pretty quickly because mm. we definitely need the championship race. And also for those pros who want to get that kind of guaranteed Kona slot early in the season, Melbourne's mm. a pretty important race. So fingers crossed it's not the end of it. Fingers crossed we do see it next year and um, or in 2017. And uh, yeah, bad luck Melbourne. Jombo, we had another race. Marty... Marty sent through beached battleships. We've talked about this race in the past, haven't we? We have. So if we do ever miss out any results from non-WTC races, do what Marty has done and flick them through to us. The Beach of Battleship is, yeah, it's been a race that's on for quite a while. It's got a, a tide-assisted swim. They've, um, you know, there's some really nice numbers there. I'll go through that in a second. But Amy Javins took it out in 9.25. She swam 50 minutes, biked five hours flat and ran 3.29. Solid effort. Uh, Jennifer Lisa was second, 9.33. And Alyssa... Godetsky was third and 9.40. So on the girls' side of things, they had 142 finishes. And then on the boys' racing, pretty solid times. Andrew Drobeck took it out, swam 49, biked 4.34 and ran 3.02 for an 8.31. Dan Harris was second, 8.38. And Corey Marshlack was third in 8.42. Well, overall, they had 500 people in the full and over just over 900 in the half. So that's a pretty good race, it's a good isn't it? size race. Yeah, I like really that good. size race. Yeah, and well done, because that race has been around for years. I remember talking about mm. that race years ago. So mm. well done for that crew for keeping it alive and, you know, making a bit of an iconic race wherever it is. So. There's another one of the set-up events, and they run, yeah, a lot of races over there and uh, seem to do a really good job. So mm. good work, set-up events. Okay, so Ironman just continues to announce some new races. We've got Ironman have announced the addition of two new races in the European Tour. This is Ironman Weymouth and Ironman 7.3 Weymouth Triathlons. Uh, this event will offer 30 slots to the 70, uh, sorry, 2017 Ironman World Championships. Uh, the interesting thing about this jumbo is that after the age group of 55 plus, they're going to have one slot for each contender, so they're not dividing mm. it up. Very interesting. Yeah. So, well, there's two interesting things coming out of that. That's the first one, and it kind of 
yeah, a few people have emailed in about this and whether they were going to try to slide this one um, oh, oh, through. Oh, the last sentence but of the statement. It's, uh, it does make a difference because if, if those of you don't understand, you know, every age group gets allocated one slot. Um, proportionally, the number of 55-plus athletes uh, on a pro rata basis is probably pretty small, so they probably ended up by having one slot actually did pretty well out of the deal. But now these races you know, with 30, 30 slots are no longer going to have... Uh, yeah, it's going to be really, really tricky if you're in the 60, if you're over 60 or something, you're then not gonna, you're not, it's going to be pretty you're tricky. You're a pretty special athlete, don't you? Mm. So only 30 slots. And also what you're going to start noticing, a lot more a lot more events seem to be having 40 slots at them as well. Uh, so it's just going to become so much more of a lottery. And I seem to, I'm a bloody broken record. I go on about this um, all oh, the time. John, you're a broken record. <laughs> it's it's going to just become so much more of a lottery to try to get a slot. You know, at races, you know, you get one. Well, box. you've you've just got to be great. You got to you've got to you've got to go. I got to win my age group. Yeah. Um, like when I went to Kona, I think I got sixth. Mm. Now I won it the next year, so I still deserve it based on today's theory. But mm. but at the same time, you know, there's no way I could turn up to Ironman New Zealand now and get six and not get my slot. So especially for girls, basically, you just got to win your age group. Yeah. And so you get one uh, former pro athlete or something turning up, and you're screwed. Well, so. the, the thing about these older age groups as well. Now let's be honest, some of those older age groups. If you kind of just turn up, because there's not much competition, let's look at the over 60s, maybe 65 plus, you know, you kind of, you're almost like if you hang around the sport long enough, you're probably going to get to Kona based on that without insulting people. But, you know, mm-hmm. like in most Ironman, how many people are you getting in 65 plus? I would imagine it's a handful, many. isn't it? Yeah. Now, for those people, this year totally eliminates their chance of being able to get to Kona because mm-hmm. there's no way a 65 year old plus, mm. unless they're extremely special, has the ability to beat someone in 55. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of diminishes that for them, doesn't it? And the, yeah, so I suppose, in a way, they've got to go seek out those races that have got more slots to give themselves um, give themselves a chance. But, again, my preferred method would be that you have non-races non with no slots at all. And then if but you want to get a slot... Well, they're doing that aren't they? Sorry? Well, they are doing that too, aren't they? No. Oh, no, no, slots. I'm thinking pro slots. Pro, no, pro slots. Oh, so so I, I feel that they should do the, the same sort of thing with, with age groupers. I'm just going to see if I can uh, back oh. up your theory here, Bevan. What's my theory? I, I'm in New Zealand, 65 plus. It was more than we, you probably anticipated. What is that? Uh, I'm oh, at, at okay. I'm in New Zealand, uh, they had, what looks like, nine guys finished. So it's not that much. No, only three girls. You know, and considering they get a slot for that, mm. you know, when you look at like the thirty-five to forty, yes, you know, you got maybe three or four hundred people finishing. Yes. You know, you get four slots. So, so it's it's a tough one. The other interesting thing with this is this is another challenge race that bites dust. Yeah. So yeah. So now we did get an email through from someone saying, you know what, these guys, the organisation who were doing the Waymouth they were a great bunch of people it was you know they tried really hard with this challenge race and just seemed like a logical well, they still got really good numbers um, but you guarantee going to an Ironman event uh, they're going to get bigger numbers but what, how does the UK go numbers wise Ironman UK it's not like a sellout is it no but they've got a lot of races over there now yeah well the Poms love triathlons so luckily they're good at triathlon yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> why were they rugby teams? So we've been going on about you know Iron Man, about challenge sort of losing the 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 hold that they've had in the states. You know they tried to sort of encroach in there, and now their stronghold, which is Europe. So it's a bit of a kick in the pants for them. Um, well, we'll go on to that in a second. Race. Before we do, um, Iron Man have just also announced that they've taken over, own, and operate the Iron Man Triathlon and Iron Man Seventy Point Three Triathlon. 
Uh, the latter of which was a charter member of the Ironman 7.3 World Championship Global Qualifying Series. Uh, Ironman Vyman, Ironman Vyman, Vyman Triathlon has also been re- rebranded as Ironman Vyman. That's, that's a hard one. <laughs> Say, <laughs> that ten, <laughs> Say that 10 times. <laughs> Uh, will take place on the 30th of July, 2016. So Ironman, Vineman had been around for a long time, and it's one of those traditional races in California that's Absolutely. been very popular. And they've always had the 70.3, the Ironman branded WTC 70.3, all for a long time they have. But they've always kept their, uh, their iron distance race separate. And they've actually been, they're good listeners of the show. We've met them a few times over the years. And their numbers have not been great. You know, it's been a well-organized race. They've got, have, oh, they've apparently a it's a job. fantastic course. Um, but, you know, the, their, their numbers are in the hundreds. And again... The, the switch over to Ironman, guarantee they'll get, you know, way yeah. over a thousand, you know, a thousand yeah. to two thousand straight away. So from 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 their perspective, you can't criticize them too much, can you? No, no, not at all. And it's the same with all these guys that that sell out to to Ironman, you go, You're gonna get more numbers. Yeah. So But when they sell out, I wonder what, what happens with the the running of the race now. Like, because Ironman years ago, it used to be just contractors, mm. and then they kind of just came and took over with all the races. But with these ones here, like the people who run Ironman, are they now just is now WTC run the race, or is it's? I think it's a bit of a case by case. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So it's you know the guys in 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 England, maybe they'll keep running that race, yeah, but I think it's a, a case by case basis. So we did get some um, some PR from a Challenge family this week, just kind of talking a little bit about what's happening in their world. They're probably listening to the show, John. Mm-hmm. And we're just saying, you know, you know, it seems like lately Challenge have been taking a few hits, um, and you know, while fundamentally they do amazing work at the races that they have, uh, just kind of the PR recently hasn't been so good for them. So they sent out not just to us, but PR releases, and it just got Challenge Family continues to work to safeguard its key principles centred around authenticity and its athlete-first philosophy, ensuring global triathlon series continues to deliver a premier triathlon experience in North America and around the world. Challenge Family CEO, how do you say his name, Zibi? Zibi, yep. How's his last name? He's just Zibi, we know him as Zibi. (laughs) He doesn't have one. Commented that change was essential as Challenge Family continues to evolve on the global stage. He said the nature of being in the events industry means adjustments are made from time to time for numerous reasons and we will continue to build iconic races around the world that are committed to the Challenge Family philosophy. So basically just saying, you know, we're still at it. It's interesting that they are still committed to North America, which is a hard place for them to crack. So, so they are, that was just them saying, you know what, we're here, we're doing our job, we're going to keep doing our job, so good on your challenge. Random news, John? Random news, so it was actually, just before you recorded the show, I, I, I was wondering what had happened to this pro triathlon union, we mm. interviewed Richard Allen and Dylan McNeese is also involved and they've got a lot of the, the top pro athletes, you know, Miranda Carfrey and so on, um, and that sort of kicked off earlier in the year and I was kind of wondering what they're up to what happened and then I actually had a look on their Facebook page and they said oh we've got a special announcement coming up in the next few days and it actually just popped into my email, e- email inbox just before we started recording and basically what they're saying is the initial fee for the pros to join up to the pro triathlon union was going to be $600 and you know was that, that annually yeah and that was really to make it sustainable but what they've decided to do obviously they haven't had as much uptake as they would like they've said they had a big meeting in Kona with all the athletes and they've actually reduced it down to $149 for the the short term that's not going to be sustainable long term but I think they really want to try to get everybody on board and then uh, see what they can make of it so 
Yeah, if there's any way you guys out there, if you've got so a business. So wait, this is for pros only or is Yeah, absolutely pros only. Yeah. It's, it's a pity they haven't done something like, remember we had the, the people um, try possibility, you know, the guys, um, uh, Happy, Tremaine and, and mm-hmm. um, Tash. And they were kind of did that thing where they're building a team around it. It's almost like, the, it's, why wouldn't they do it so that age groupers could support this foundation do you get what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. maybe you pay for a fifty dollar age group membership each year, and what you do is they'll create some content. Maybe some pros will give some free programs. You know, other ways to reven- revenue kind of generate some revenue for this organization um, that can. Because to be honest, six hundred bucks a year for a pro. You know, I've take away the top 10, 15 percent. But I think you, there is a bit in there. You know, you get your insurance and all that sort of stuff. So I think oh, there I is there is some benefit there. You're not just handing over six hundred bucks saying right. Sort, sort us out so it's one of those things you know hand over 600 bucks if it's going to benefit you you know a year or two down the track in terms of enhanced prize money and so on if, if, like it's, kind of, it's they, an they investment did, they organised a bit of a like age groupers can support our organisation for 50 bucks a year and with that Rennie writes your program writes a standard program anyone can download Dylan McNeese does a couple of videos on, you know kind of like a Mac, Mac or X type of thing mm. where some pros just create some content and you get that content you know I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's the model. They, they want to have, they want it to be like other sports. It's basically a, a union, and you're not doing all that, that other stuff on the side. You're not. It's not I about. Know, but are they going to get enough money? Oh, I don't, it, it obviously appears that they're, they're not at this stage. Yeah, and so like if that's the case, then they need to find ways to make money. Mm. And so think, you know, what they do have is they have the connection with the pros, and. The pros don't want to commit a huge amount of obviously money to it. Um, they obviously understand the value of it. Like you know, this is a really important thing, and but it's not really taking off. So, well, why don't they go? Well, let's look at other ways outside of the box that we can create some revenue, where the pros can maybe give a little bit of free time by creating some content or something like that. That people, you know, age groupers will be willing to pay fifty bucks for. We can get you know a few thousand athletes paying fifty bucks a year. Well, that's going to give us a lot more money. You know how much work that is, so, and that's and these guys that are doing this, this is not their number one thing that they're doing. So they, I think they really want to make it happen. So then this question is: This a dead duck? Don't know. Don't know. It's going to be. Yes, you've really got it. That's the thing. You've always got one well, of these things. You've got to have more than one person really driving it. And at this stage, you know, I think. It's, Do you know what I love about their website? Just I'm sorry. They have a, they have a view counter. They're on the website for years. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. You're saying so. You've got to have a team of people really driving it. And whether it's just Rich Allen driving it, it's hard to know. You know, they've got all the names there, but you've got to have a number of people really driving these things or they do run out of steam. Yeah, and and really, it's often with these things, if one person isn't driving it, it just mm. is past the buck, isn't it? And mm. it goes nowhere. So I hope it gets. I hope it becomes something that can influence the sport. Uh, it's time will tell, you I see it in so many other sports that they, if you give a good yeah, union... Yeah, some other sports have big money. Yeah. You know, you look at the Americans or the rugby union and stuff like that. Well, there's so much money involved. Mm. It's easier to, you know, for those athletes to kind of put this, put a little bit aside. Whereas yep. in triathlon, you know, it's, it's a different sport, mm. unfortunately. Okay, Jombo, um, other piece of random news. Exterior is coming up. No, it's, it was happened at the weekend. Oh, okay, sorry. And I saw that um, Stephen Sheldrake was over there and I saw he made a post on Facebook saying... This event is seriously hard, you know. Really? It's it's a hard bike course and it's a hard run. It's obviously a sea swim and there can sometimes be some surf. And he's he's been around the, the block a few times. He's done a lot of racing. Did he do the race? He did. Uh, How'd he go? 
he had problems. Um, okay. <laughs> but beside the point, he sort of said, you know, this is legit. It's not like you're just going on these easy trails. Uh, it's, it's proper stuff. So Josiah. Have you, done, have you ever done an exterior? No, I can't. Does it appeal to you? Not really. I am so crap on a mountain bike. Uh, uh, it, it does appeal to me, but I'm crap on a mountain bike. Mm. Like, I think it'd be such a fun race. Because, mm. like, running off roads are awesome. The swim would be fun. And then the ride, if you got this, a basic skill set, would be quite fun. Yeah. But you can lose so much time on the oh, bike if yeah. you're a crap mountain biker. So we had uh, Josiah Medow um, from Vale, Colorado. Take it out. Beat our Kiwi boy by four minutes. Oh, Braden Curry. Braden Curry was there in second place. So he was a little bit down um, on Braden out of the swim. Put a couple of minutes in on the bike and then uh, had a spanking run. 41 Jeez, minutes. He killed the run, didn't he? To, to, to run two and a bit minutes into Braden Curry. That dude can run. Yeah, Braden's a great runner. So it's impressive. And then you had Ruben Rosafa, who is the Spanish dude who is a former pro cyclist of some description. He I love the name of the girl place. who won it. Flora she, Duffy. She's a machine. She, she crushes it. She really does. And then Leslie Patterson. Yeah. And then uh, good old Emma Gerard. So it was exterior. I would like to do it, but yeah, again, I'm like you. Mountain bike is just an injury waiting to happen for me. It is, and you just you've got to be so confident and cocky, and just be just risky. not not afraid, not afraid to yeah. crash. Okay, we're going Man Florida. Was it Florida? I'm in Florida, yep, and also Fortaleza in Brazil. No pro races there; they're just standard Ironmans. So, first time in a long time that Florida has not been a pro race. I know it was last year, so, but. I, I agree with the policy, having some non-pro races. Uh, uh, what I'm curious about is what the we, we should probably get someone, someone do this, someone who loves geeking out. How many races on the calendars aren't pro races nowadays? Because it seems to you know, like it's quickly transitioned mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of races without pros in it now. So mm-hmm. there, there is, there's been a quick shift. So just exactly how many are non-pro races? And it's it's primarily just the American races because American races, yeah. there's so bloody many of them now. Yeah. Also, uh, we've got a couple of non-WTC races. Hits Lake Havasu and also I am Concordia in Argentina. Good times. Rock and roll. Okay, Jumbo sponsor. Athlinks.com. If the All Blacks are on there, they, have, they, they won the World Cup twice in a row. Yes. Claim they only won it three times. Yeah. yeah so Athlinks got now got a blog. If you go onto their Facebook page, you can just find the links there. And it's kind of cool because I've just got you know, um, guest people doing doing their blogs and some good little, just short little articles on uh, some giving your your bike some love during the off your road bike some love during the off road season. There's You're some, really good at that, aren't you, John? Yes, yeah. I am. There's some yoga poses for speedy recovery. There's some uh, an Ironman meal plan. Just getting different people's perspective, getting more bang for your buck on low mileage training, and then uh, looking for endurance athlete friends. Cycling and running safety, it's a two-way street. So if you go on to facebook.com, check out the Athlinks page on there, and then you can click through and you can see a whole bunch of blog posts, as well as obviously athlinks.com where you can keep all your results in one place. And again, for these races that are disappearing, make sure you get on there and claim your results because once those websites are gone, so will your result. It's pretty good, isn't it? Hmm. It is. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of these articles. There's some quite specific Ironman ones, which are, you know, some really good ones. We haven't had a discussion of the week for a while. I said athletics.com. Check it out. Keep all your results Tell you what, in one just, place. Just before we go into discussion. So athletics.com, guys, again, if you did New York Marathon, James, I think James, the wise one did it. I saw some photos. Right. 
Look like he, yeah, he did it. Jack Tamer, one of our news reporters over here, did it. Oh, did he? He did for like 3.30. I was pretty impressed. He just looked like a strawny, geeky guy. And I thought, well, he's a strawny, geeky guy. Yeah. I was quite impressed with that. He seems like a nice guy with Jack Tame, doesn't he? He does, yeah. yeah. He seems like a nice guy. John Boo, I have to say, you York Marathon do it right. Did you see the app they had? No. It was awesome. In what regard? Oh, just like, you could just watch your friends do the race the whole time. Right. Not not on the map, but yeah. you, you literally see them going along and like... G- what do you mean? So they might just like the GPS so right. on, the, on the map. Yeah. You basically had the course. Wait a second, I'll pull it up. Um... That's what, that's what Ironman needs. Race results. Um, you basically go, oh, who am I tracking? Okay, I'm tracking Kimbo. And then you go on a Kimbo, and as you're watching the race, it'll be, you take on the map of the course, and you could actually watch them move around on mm-hmm, the GPS. Mm-hmm. It was just a great app. It was a, probably the best example of what you can do with mm. technology in the app, especially when you're dealing with 50,000 people. Mm. You know, like mm. it was pretty cool. And, and you're literally watching them move along the map. Mm. as they're running then you come up and you see their splits and, and it give you predicted time based on finishes and stuff like that it was a, it was a really really great app so I man so that's interesting because you know we, we, they make the pros wear these big clunky um, matchbox sized things different when you don't have the swim there but yeah I guess that but must in just the be swim the they're chip. not wearing the matchbox are they no they're not but that's the limitation in terms of they would have had a little chip on the back of their race number I would yeah. imagine Hmm, it was it was awesome, like because you're literally going, oh okay, there's a, and you can see them just you know move around. I was like, wow, yeah. that's, it was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, they're, they're obviously setting the bar, you know, the, the New York Marathon, and obviously it's probably one of the most iconic races in the world in endurance sport. But uh, yeah, so anyway, discussion of the week, Jonbo. What are we talking about? We had an email in here from Duncan Penfold. Are we going back to the one we did like a year ago? What do you mean? Well, we did one a while ago. We him. did we? Let me, you, you talk about the one that we're going to talk Duncan about. Duncan Penfold sent in a, uh, an email here saying he had a bit of an embarrassing story recently. He grabbed his running shorts and he put them on, socks, shoes, shorts, watch, and heads, heads out. After about 45 minutes, it was pretty hot and I kept sweating a bit. Then I feel something tickling down the front of my quad. I scratch it and keep stride and keep, and keep stride. Five minutes later, it tickles again. I scratch it and run on. It keeps happening and I keep on running and not giving any thought. Maybe an hour in now and it starts to rain. The trickle becomes more pronounced. Within a few minutes, I, I'm completely saturated. Clothes sopping wet and I have bubbles down my legs and soap foaming from my running shorts. Oh crap, I don't think my training gear made it through the rinse cycle. Bubbles and foams, is, uh, bubble and foam is the nappy sand I use to keep my training gear smelling sweet and lemon fresh. I had to stop at the park to rinse myself and then uh, and my clothes, and it would have looked ridiculous. So this week's topic is your most embarrassing, maybe clothing malfunctions when you've either been training or racing. Okay, nice. So you're, you're, you're say it again. Most embarrassing clothing malfunctions. Okay, clothing malfunctions. Yeah. The white pants is always going to come up. Yes. And old pants. Yeah. But there's more other people's clothing malfunctions. Bloody nipples wearing oh, uh, when you've got white t shirts. Yeah. Forgetting to take your swim skin off when you uh, do a bike leg. Yeah, well, I know somebody did that. Yeah. Genius. Okay, yeah. we did do a discussion a week a few weeks ago. Oh. And if you put it on Facebook page and scroll down, it was the funny triathlon quotes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so I'll read a couple out while you're finding it. Um, I've got Phil Whitehead. My next tattoo. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Churchill is triathlon related as I'm triathlete and it gets tattooed for me. So there we go. Uh, I say that one. Kurith Lizard? Um, 
I'm going to say triathlon. For people who are too stupid to understand that one sport is hard enough. That's got to go on. Uh, Kevin McFarlane has got, following John's example, duathlon finishes t-shirt means I don't know how to swim. Yes. <laughs> uh, Dave Gordon, triathlon. If your relationship is working, then you didn't train hard enough. I have to admit that's quite a good one. Matthew Jackman, the swim is the inconvenient part of a triathlon. No, it's not. It's the best part. No, it was always my inconvenient part. Melissa Yuri, uh why would uh, why be good at one sport when you can be shit at three? <laughs> Kurt Taylor, this is a Sebastian Keenlay quote. If it's hurting me, I know it's killing them. Nice. So another one from uh, Ryan Bray. He's got uh, Keenlay had a good one after this year's win. Uh, it was something like I bike as hard as I can so that when I'm on the run, I'm so oxygen depleted, the voice in my head can't even talk. That's a good one. Nice. That's a good one. Michael Turner, train hard, not smart. <laughs> Tom, Thomas O'Quirk, don't be shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, he has a great quote. Here we go. By a guy called John Newsom. Oh, good old, here we go. Good old Arnold sent this one through. Don't be a dick on the bike. Oh, there we go. He also had a Mark Allen one. Be fearless in the face of your fear. Good old Joshua Hickley. Hickley, sorry. Uh, Hickey. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay. Kevin Murray never trust a fart. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. Neil Strange got one here from Jack Dempsey. Mm. The champion is someone who gets up when he can't. Uh, uh, who we got here? Peter Holt. When the pain comes, you know what to do. Smile. There we go. Uh, what else? Good old Louis. Louis from, from Epic Camp. Louis the Fly. Louis the Fly. Kona 2000, no, so 1982 or three. The old guard rolling the early miles on the bike. Paul Huddle was quoted as saying to the fastest swimmers as they pull up next to him, you guys want to go long? Until recently, when I used it uh, to do the big bike miles, we would start the group ride asking everyone the same question, tongue in cheek, of course. Um, last one I'll do, Jeff Martindale. Don't worry. You'll pass out long before you die. Hey, Matthew Bins, here we go. He's quoted himself. <laughs> He's got, life is just killing time between workouts. Quoted by Matthew Bins. <laughs> Very good. John Bo, you any quotes that you... I just had that one that Arnold did. That was a great one. Don't be a dick on the bike. Yeah, I like... I like <laughs> don't trust a fart. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. So... Uh, Yep, very good. So that was last week's discussion. So this week's discussion, if we go back to this week's discussion, the discussion is what is the most embarrassing thing you've had in the race regarding gear? Yeah, sort of clothing malfunctions and clothing stuff like that. malfunctions. I remember years ago, here's a funny one, John. My ex-girlfriend, Raylene. For next week. I know, it's a good Same. one. I can't okay. control myself. My ex-girlfriend, Raylene, was teaching body attack class. Mm -hmm. And body attack class is kind of up and down. It's a lot yeah. of impact. And she was wearing a halter neck. It yeah. just does up around, so it's basically yeah. like a boob tube that does up yeah. around the back of your neck. Yeah. Teaching the class, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> the, the alternate came undone. Oh. Her boobs just came out. She was, whoa. Tell you another boob story. Phil. Phil's Phil got Ada, boobs. Back Phil, Phil and Ada Patterson got flashed at the oh. Auckland Marathon. Really? Well, no, he just missed the flashing. He was behind a little group, and this it was because this was coming through halfway in the, the marathon and it was right by all the bars and stuff like that and the rugby was over and so everybody was just pouring oh, out of the bars people. very drunk it was so 7 o'clock and well, probably no, probably 8 o'clock in the morning But so they'd been having an all nighter and Phil was just behind this little group and apparently this girl just whipped up her top and just completely flashed oh, him and uh, he was pretty happy Phil was pretty happy <laughs> yeah. how did the Phil later go? mediocre 
It's funny how girls can flash and it's okay, but if boys flash, it's, yeah. it's, it's totally the wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, so sexist against men. Yeah. Um, what time did he come on? It wasn't a good time. 3.07, Three, I think it was. Mm. And he's run 3.03 in Ironman. Has he done sub three in the marathon? Yes. He has, isn't he? Mm. So it's a bad, why did he have a bad day? Mm, lack of training. Okay, you guys need to train more. <laughs> just saying, you know. Just saying. Okay, uh, we're going to put an interview on. We've got a guy called Scott Lott. Scott Iart. Iart. I was an I, not an L. Yep. Uh, Scott Iart. And uh, we've interviewed him before, John, but we thought we'd get him back on. So here we go. And he was submitted by Scott Okay, carrying on with our theme of uh, top age group athletes, Scott Rice popped us in an email, and it's actually uh, someone we had had as a recent age grouper of the week, Scott Iart. He was um, recommended him because he's uh, recently been, or last year, been sub nine at an Ironman, um, which is awesome. Also been to Kona this year, um, but we did when I was actually going through the process, I realised we'd had him on the show back in episode two hundred and thirty-five. So we're not going to rehash everything we did there. But uh, so if you want to find out a bit more about Scott's sort of background um, and go back and listen to that episode two three five. Um, but Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of you guys and what you do, and it's interesting because um, you know five years ago when I first came on your show, it was right before Ironman Florida, mm. and um, I actually had a pretty good race that year. And uh, have have sort of made even more gains and been on this crazy journey since. So it's it's really nice to be back. Thanks for having me. So yeah, when I looked back there, it looked like around about that time you were sort of more of a you know a, a low to mid nine hour Ironman athlete. And as Scott Rice emailed in, you know you you, you went sub nine at Arizona. So what's the sort of progression been like, and what's what's been really making the big differences for you? Well, I think that I think it's just, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this as is being very consistent. And you know, with for me, the gains that I've made over time, I've had to be patient for. And I think that um, one of the things I've tried to do is is sort of make it a little more of my lifestyle. Um, certainly, I have priorities with my family, with a job, but sort of paying attention to the very small details over long periods of time and being very consistent in my training. I, I think that's sort of helped me evolve as, as this athlete over the, over the course of you know, the past five years in this case. So maybe just yeah, just bring us back up to speed on your your age, your your family setup and, and job and things like that so people get a picture of um, what sort of athlete you are. Yeah, so um, I'm 39, so this is my last year in the 35-39, so um, I'm anxiously awaiting to uh, raise 40-44. I have two children. They're nine and six years old. Um, I I am a school teacher, but actually since 2010, I've sort of added to my plate in terms of my career responsibilities, um, which is another challenge I've had to add and to maintain the balance, but uh, I'm married. You know, I probably deal with a lot of the same problems as some of your listeners with with you know time commitments and you know commitments outside the family as outside of training as well so you talked about the the little things and i know the last time we spoke um you're right into 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 power and so on has that been a pretty integral part of your progression over the last sort of five years that's interesting and that's a that's a really good question because as an athlete i've ebbed and flowed i think 
one of my philosophies in my growth is, you know, if, if things start to get stale or I start to see plateaus, then I need to change the stimulus. And it, I've always ridden with power. I've always used power. Um, but in the past two seasons, my complete focus on power has been a little bit less, mm. right? So now I'm, I'm, I'm racing a little more on, on feel and um, I'm racing based on what the race is presenting to me. Um, and in Arizona, uh, this is a really good example because um, sort of my background as an athlete is um, I'm a little weaker swimmer. So... Um, Relative to my age group and, and the overall guys, I'm always starting, you know, three to seven minutes behind on the bike. So I've had to maybe be a little more aggressive at the front of the bike to limit the uh, gaps by the run. So in Arizona, it's a three-lap course. So um, my power was significantly higher that first lap compared to the prior two laps. And that was a decision that I made very early on in the race because I didn't want the race to get too far ahead of me. And, you know, I didn't want it to be game over when we came to the run. So essentially what you're doing there is you're trying to catch up to those swimmers and then not necessarily sit in, but um, but then ride at a similar effort to them? Or are you sort of just trying to get to the front and, and keep on blasting? No, it's it's more of a I want to make sure I can keep the leaders sort of within striking distance. And I say that very respectfully because mm. in Arizona, the, the, the folks I knew that were off the front coming out of the water I knew were very strong riders. And um, had I just sort of went with my wattage plan, mm. I knew I probably would have continued to lose time over the course of that first lap. Um, but I had known that I was probably going to be running potentially 10 to 15 minutes faster than some of these guys. But again, I, I wanted to limit the damage um, and not uh, very early in the race to be completely out of the, uh, you know, the Kona slot allocation. Um, what impact does that have on, on how you feel as you go through the race in terms of your perceived effort and also maybe on your nutrition? Because I would imagine for a lot of people um, who don't have a power meter, that the way that you've ridden is probably actually how their pro- power profile would look mm-hmm. if they if they did have a power meter. So does, does your perceived effort actually stay pretty similar as you're going through? And has this had much impact in terms of uh, your nutrition? So... Again, this is one of the changes I've made within my training is making sure that I can recognize what the feeling of an Ironman bike effort should be. So you're, I'm balancing that feeling with what I'm seeing on my power meter, right? So the perception of effort is the same. And, you know, like you said, typically very early on in an Ironman bike race or, or the bike leg, um, the athlete is very, very strong that first third and then they start to fade. And in my case here, related to where Arizona was, I knew I was probably extending myself a little bit, but I wasn't ever going to extend myself to the point where I was going to blow up and that third lap would have been, you know, um, 30 watts lower than I wanted to. In terms of nutrition, um, uh, my goal was to maybe be a little bit um, light on calories 
for the first third of that race be on the bike because I knew my effort would be a little bit high, my heart rate was a little bit high, and I didn't want to start introducing more calories into my body when it was working maybe slightly harder than I was asking it to. Um, but as soon as I got sort of in the position I wanted to be in the race, then it was game on, ride to ride to wattage and, and drink and eat at the level I need to eat at. Very nice. Um in in terms of your, um, I know a lot of athletes will be listening to this, uh, and they'd love to know how how you how you get to be to be fast. Um, in terms of your long rides and, and maybe some of your key sessions, um, how do you sort of go about structuring them? Just so for, for example, you know, typical race build up, um, long rides. You just go out and ride for. 100 miles um, or are you going out there with specific um, you know, specific structure to, to long rides and, and similarly for, for other key sessions? Certainly every workout that I try to do has a purpose, right? And I think that's a cliche, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's you can apply that, right? So um, for a long ride heading into Ironman, um, my focus is not just to put the mileage in. We, we certainly have a, a fair bit of quality within our riding. Um, you know, that said, a, a major component of a main set of a, let's say, a bike ride that's five hours or longer, we'll, we'll focus on what the goal effort is going to be for the Ironman race. And maybe that's somewhere from three to four hours. Uh, but there's also going to be a component that is going to be at efforts higher than Ironman. And one of my favorite workouts is after after a warm-up, maybe uh, some intervals from 10 to 20 minutes at, say, like 80 to 85 percent, mm-hmm. uh, right into Ironman work at, you know, 72 to 75 percent of threshold. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty standard workout for me on the bike. Uh, but it's never, ever just, hey, go ride. 100 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's really hasn't been something that's worked for me so, uh, on the bike. So you went 855 in Arizona. Um, was it the perfect race for you? Or, and do you think there's areas you can, you can get faster? I think the perfect race, um, it's about as perfect as it could be, mm-hmm. right? And I think like the perfect race is, uh, you know, like the, like Bigfoot, Everybody thinks they see it and they're chasing it, but it's really hard to have. But for me in Arizona, it was about as close as I could get. Because just like any other Ironman, I had that period of low where I felt on the bike like, oh man, this is going to be a long day and I'm going to regret even signing up for this race. Um, But I kept trying to tell myself, this is normal, this happens. And when I got off the bike and I got onto the run, Everything came good, and I felt phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably as close to a perfect race as I will ever be. Uh, I was it was a swim PR and it was a run PR, not a bike PR, but you know I've raced Florida before, which, so it's a little bit of a different mm-hmm. comparison. But um, I would say about ninety ninety nine percent close to a perfect race. Nice. Now you've you, you went to Kona this year. Um, obviously not not quite as quick. It's never going to be in Kona. Uh, you know, sort of in the the nine thirties. Maybe tell us a little bit about um, your Kona experiences. You know, where um, how many times you've been there, and whether there's been progression, or whether there's been any uh, explosions like I had last year, or how you sort <laughs> of how you how you found the whole Kona experience. Yeah. So that was my fourth time in Hawaii, um, and. I've, I've, I think I've qualified like eight times, but I've only been there four times just because my schedule doesn't allow to go every year. Um, 
And I'm sure your listeners, as well as you know, John, it's it's a race that you can try to predict, but there's no way uh, you'll ever really know exactly what happened. My experience this year in Kona was just mediocre, and I was proud of the way I gutted things out. Uh, that was the hottest I've ever experienced there. Um, and again, hard to, to put into words how hot it is when you're running on the Queen K through the lava fields. Um, but it's always such a very special and a very magical place. So it's nice to be part of that environment. But uh, in terms of my race, I was just, I was just very flat. And uh, you know, it just, it was one of those races where it wasn't my day, which was like the exact opposite of Arizona. Uh, you know, the prior November. And what's sort of motivating you to, to get back to, to Kona each time? You know, obviously it's, it's the World Champs, but is there anything special that really makes you want to keep going back? You know, I've said on the podcast that my motivation to go back is, is a lot lower, you know, now that I've been there and, and haven't necessarily enjoyed that bike ride and, and the packs and stuff. Um, but what's, what is it that draws you back there? I mean, I think that's that's like the the – the culmination of our sport that's like you know the holy grail of our sport and even if you're there as a spectator you can kind of feel the energy right mm-hmm. and and it's such a special place and i i always told myself i will continue to try to be a kona qualifier as long as my body will allow me to um you know my motivation is you know i i like like your listeners i I'm forcing myself to wake up at 4:30 every morning. So the reward is to be able to, you know, say I'm racing Hawaii this year. It's sort of mm-hmm. it's it's the way to pay all this hard work off. Uh, and and I've realized now that I'm not really ever going to have probably a PR race at Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's much more than just worried about results in Hawaii. It's a very it's a very special place, and it would be great for all athletes to experience this at some level at some time in their career. Mm. Do you prepare differently for that race as opposed to say what you did in um, Arizona? I mean, um, you know, again, you're a weaker swimmer, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. so you're mm-hmm. going to have to ride through an awful lot of people. Uh, is that again part of your plan? Do you go there with the intention, right? I'm going to have to ride the Queen K a bit harder to to get up the field, or do you take a sort of a slightly more conservative race plan when you go into this one? Well, the the race plan this year was conservative, um, and it, it it always is a touch conservative based on the weather. But um, one of the things I wanted to try to do this year was to get onto the Queen K and 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 be a little more conservative all the way up to Javi and down, and then really start to work from Kauai High back to the airport. Because you know if you've raced that, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it, that's typically when. Maybe some headwind might come in. It's a really hard time of the course. So that was my goal was to be really conservative and then sort of strong towards that last, you know, uh, 30 or 40 kilometers, which turned out to be a must for me because it was so, so warm. And, um, you know, I I didn't overcook the bike at all. but I really had to pay attention to how easily I was riding back in so that I wasn't miserable mm. <laughs> or too miserable on the run and have to you know, either call it a day or completely blow up. Mm. So um, when you go into these races, how much, uh, how much planning do you do? Because you know? I, I, I sometimes get baffled at, at people going into races and they seem to have a very, uh, not much of a plan at all. So for you and maybe with some athletes that you work with, you know, how much detail do you go into plan and into, the, into the race or do you, uh, you, do you just kind of wing it on the day? 
<laughs> well, I think that if you're winging it on the day, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. I mean, think think about the hours and the and and the the the, the body of work that athletes put in to get to racing an Ironman. Um, what I like to do, and I and I think what everybody should do is write a race plan that's very detailed, and it starts from sort of the night before. Uh, through to the morning of and through the race and, and make sure that you are writing down your intensities, uh, make sure you're writing down what pace you want to run and make sure you're writing down the nutrition. So what I do is I tend to look at the course and I think this is this obviously would apply for most races but look at the course, look at the uh, conditions that you're going to face that day on the course and make your plan accordingly so that when you get to race day it's all about executing because i mean i still get nervous before races and sometimes when i get nervous i get stupid mm. so to have this plan uh, and to have reviewed this plan in the days leading into the race it's only going to make it easier for me to be okay now i just need to do this now i need to do this and now i need to do this and then let the time fall into place you know mm. what i mean um so yes, very detailed. What what about strategies that you have maybe personally for in the race when the the going gets tough? You know whether you're having a bad patch on the on the bike or you know it, it always gets hard at some stage on the run or you know ninety five percent of the time unless you're having an absolutely amazing run. But what are some of the strategies you use to to try to dig yourself out of holes both on the the bike and the run, perhaps even in the swim? So. The first thing I'll do is I'll potentially look at why I'm feeling this way. So I'll, I'll go through sort of my mental Rolodex of do I need to eat more? Um, do I need to drink more? Am I going too hard or too fast? Do I need to slow down? Um, you know, have I, uh, how is my form? How is my form on the bike? How is my form on the run? And once I've exhausted that checklist, uh, if it's if it's sort of out of my control, I'll do my best to try to just mentally get through the low times. Mm-hmm. Now, when I run, this sounds very simple, uh, but I'll count my steps up to 100, and that sort of brings myself back into the moment. And whether I've had a good bike or a good swim or a bad bike or a bad swim, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the moment. And... Mm-hmm. I try to keep myself in that moment, not worry about what I did three miles ago or not worried about what lies ahead. I think one of the mistakes sometimes I fall in is, and I think a lot of people do too, is when you're running an Ironman uh, and you're at mile eight or you're at uh, mile four and you see the, uh, and it's two laps and then you see like the mile 12 marker right after the mile four, you think to yourself, holy you know mm-hmm. what? I've got 22 miles left, and mm-hmm. you know that that becomes, I, I think, more of a burden mentally, uh, and 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 then worrying about just what you're doing mm-hmm. now in the moment, and maybe you know what is just ahead, maybe by the next mile or the next aid station. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Kona, you know, you, the years you've been to Kona, um, four times, uh, has has the race changed much for you in terms of you know how the race unfolds? Um, the experience for you as an athlete or has it remained pretty consistent? Well, it's always been hard and hot yeah. and windy. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the race ex- itself, it's, it, I, I don't think it's changed much in my approach, which, which I think is what makes it so special. Now, um, the first year I did it, 
they didn't have the split starts between the age group, uh, the age group men and women, mm. or um, you know, in this year it was uh, pro men, pro women, age group men, age group women. Mm. So um, it do- that didn't really make too much of a difference for the men, but for the women, you know, age group women they're only starting with six hundred and I think like fifty girls, mm. uh, which makes their swim much differently, and then makes the the loops around town that really crowded area a little less congested for them mm. um i'm always amazed about how fast the professional field is and how fast most of the amateur field is in hawaii uh if you would look at let's say iron man new zealand in your neck of the mm. woods mm. there might be a 50 50 percent of the people who are walking uh at mile 20 and 50 percent running mm. you know in hawaii it's like 98% of the people are running still at mile 20 which is which is fascinating to me. So, I mean, um I don't think much of the race has changed and I hope it always stays in Hawaii. I think there's been some rumors maybe that it's going to move, but um I hope it stays in Hawaii cuz it's again it's a very special place. And and I hack on about this on the show. I mean, would you like to see um, wave starts? I mean, I know you will have experienced this a lot at different races around the states. Um, but what, what's your sort of opinion if they went to to wave starts to try to spread that bike out at all? I mean, as I think as a traditionalist, I would say no. I mean, um, I could certainly see both sides of the argument. But one of the uh, some call it magical, some call it chaotic. One of the the things about Ironman is that mass swim start. And in Hawaii, when you're treading in the water and Mike Riley is trying to get everybody back and all of a sudden, boom, you hear the cannon off, there's that 400-meter period of craziness. And, I mean, I think that's part of Ironman. And uh, I would be sad if it went away. You know, most of the uh, swim initiatives and the swim safe programs here in North America with the Ironmans are designed for for safety in mind, so I totally get that. But there's something about an Ironman mass start that makes it so special. And and in the chaos, sometimes I like that. Mm-hmm. Now, now you've been around for a while now in terms of uh, in the sport. Um, are you still doing uh, a fair amount of coaching as well? Yeah, I do, I do. And that's one of the things I've added. Um, I, I do uh, coach for a company called Training Bible Coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically... Um, based in sort of northwest Illinois, but we have some folks all around the world. Um, And and I have been doing quite a bit of that here over the course of the last uh, five or ten years. Hmm. So how do you you sort of work in with maybe your personal long-term involvement in the sport and keeping the motivation in there, but probably more applicable to our audience you know so many athletes come into our sport now and and especially in the states where wtc is so dominant it's you know it's all about 70.3 and iron man and 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 so on um how do you sort of work on trying to keep athletes involved in the sport rather than just having their blinkers on thinking i've got to do an iron man um and thinking about their long-term well-being and actually trying to make 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 them um sort of long-term athletes I think it. I think it starts with balance, and I, and I, when I say balance, what I'm speaking of is um, m- most of the athletes who race Ironman don't do it for a living, mm-hmm. so uh, they have family, they have work, and if you can fit training 
into that formula so that uh, at the end of an Ironman, uh, they're not completely burnt out. Or in the middle of the Ironman, they're not completely burnt out. And uh, it, it becomes something that you can involve your family and, and your friends in. Ultimately, I think that is going to lead to them being uh, in the sport for long term, as opposed to somebody who comes in and says, I want to do Ironman, and, and uh, they're given many, many training sessions, probably more than they can handle, and next thing you know, they're burnt out, they don't like to do it, and they just give mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So I think it starts, the first thing is, is balance. Um, you know, and I think secondly, you need to look at what happens sort of after the race, because where I think a lot of people fail is after the race, there's a period of, oh, I don't want to do this again ever, (laughs) and that's very short, and then they start thinking about maybe doing it again, and they jump right back into things. So I really feel like there needs to be a significant break after that Ironman, whatever that is. You know, that could be three weeks for some, that could be six for others, so you can recharge and refresh and then start anew again. And that's what I've tried to do is uh, make sure I have this time period which is coming up, you know, through the U.S. holidays of very low structured training so my mind can mentally adjust and get ready to go again next year in 2016. And so what's the plan for 2016? Well, I'm going to race Ironman Wisconsin, which is kind of like our hometown race. It's only about 90 minutes uh, ninety minutes from here. Mm-hmm. Um and try to be healthy because I haven't been healthy too mm. much over the course of the past year and a half. Mm. Uh, I don't know about Hawaii, but but uh, probably not for a couple of years if I'm fortunate enough to be in that position. Very nice. And you're also doing a bit of podcasting these days as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a funny story because the first time I talked with you guys back in 2010, um, I uh, we kind of were, were chatting. We always used to listen to Iron Man talk. Yeah. And um, we decided to do our own. So actually, our show kind of was a uh, sort of a spawn of yours. Yeah. And uh, we were not able to do it as frequently as you guys. But it's been you know five years since we've done our show, uh, which is just two idiots babbling. Uh, Sounds very familiar. About things. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to find that, where can they find it? Uh, they can go to trainingbubble.com or, you know, our, our, it's, our podcast is just Training Bible Coaching Podcast. And, you know, it's really uh, two guys who enjoy the sport and, and, and try to give some advice but, but have a lot of fun in the process as well. Very good. I know it's awesome, Scott. Um, yeah, it's great to see the progression you've made um, and and sort of harping on that you know that consistent approach to training, whilst also factoring in the recovery. And, and I know athletes, uh, listeners, love to hear from people that have got that real life going on in terms of uh, jobs, family, and and all that stuff. So thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show when you when you're banging on that door of eight thirty. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, John. And I, I listen to you guys frequently. So uh, keep up the good work, John. I haven't listened to the interview yet. Your thoughts? Great stuff. Just in terms of the, the interesting things for me for for, for elite age group um, athletes. You know the the approach that Scott and a few others have been taking is 
is not to go for that consistent power output on the bike. They're actually racing the first part of the bike ride. And I think the really um, interesting thing that Scott was doing, you know, modifying his nutrition plan to factor in that it was going to be more intense early on the bike ride. So he's taking so he more has, on early on? No, it takes less early on oh, okay. to reduce the risk of having stomach issues and then sort of starts to, to catch up a little bit later on. So, yeah, it was good stuff. And it's great to hear, the, you know, these age groupers who are going sub nine hours when they are legit age groupers in terms of, you know, yes, Scott's got a bit of a coaching stuff on the side now, but still, you know, does the, the teaching job. Teaching job, teachers are fantastic and they're a massively important part of our society. But wait, wait, is there a but? <laughs> but I'm just going to smash in the face. No, I'm not going to smash them in the face at all. They've got a really nicely set up to be triathletes, yeah. you know, in terms of, say, yeah, you have a big break in summer. Middle part of summer, you yeah. can just crank in the training. And also for teachers, that middle break is the one where you don't have to do any other work mm. because they get a lot of holidays throughout the year, but often yeah. it's catch up. Mm. So, because teaching's hard work. Yeah, oh yeah, no Especially doubt about that. Especially in those years when you're kind of building up your repertoire of kind mm. of education. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is, it is a good lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Jumbo, the next question is uh, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. I, so I was over spending time with our next interview, Scott, um, sorry, Michael Rowe, and uh, he had the Endurance. Nice. And he, uh, he even had the, I think he had the joint formula as well. Very good. Yeah, he had it all. So the standard Extreme Endurance advantages, clinically proven to reduce lactic acid by 15%, speeds up your recovery, improves aerobic threshold by double digits, benefits within 72 hours, reduces muscle soreness, and certified drug-free. So check it out, xendurance.com. Aussies and Kiwis, if you need to get any stuff off me, just flick me a note through coachjohnnewsome.com. The rest of you guys, go to xendurance.com and check it out. Yep, it's the feedback we get from everyone who uses it. They absolutely love it. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Mm. And it can really help. And uh, yeah, so check, check, check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, John, so we're going to put another interview on. We, I went to stay with Sandra and Michael in California, and it was really quite cool because remember a while ago I said on the show, he wouldn't want to let mm -hmm, me stay. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing was, was I actually got quite a few responses, which was really cool. And uh, Michael and Sandra, they were, they were awesome. It was just a really, really lovely couple. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you meet a couple who, who, who genuinely like each other's company, like who you, you know, because you often see couples who. You kind of wonder why they're still together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice when you have a couple, you know, just genuinely kind of in love. And, and so it was really nice spending time in this space. And they were so generous with their time and energy. Um, it made my trip really, it was one of the highlights of my trip. Uh, so I thought, you know, Michael's a bit of an Ironman. He's a bit of an mm -hmm. age grouper and mm -hmm. he's done a few races. So I thought I'd get him on. Did you go for a run with him? Yep, we went for a run around Griffith Park. Mm -hmm. mm, it was really, one night I went for a run by myself. Mm -hmm. A little bit foolish. Yeah. Because Griffith Park, have you been there? No. It's 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 really cool in LA because LA, you you know, you're for an athlete, you have some good spots to train, and they live mm. right by it, so they live literally across the road from Chris mm. Park, and you've got all the trust. So one morning, Michael and I went for a run, and then the next morning, we, Sandra and Michael and I went for this beautiful walk right up to the top, and then that night, I, I kind of had a bit of time. I had to, I wanted to go to a show, and I had a bit of time to spare, so I thought I'd go for a run. Well, I left my run, and I ran right to the top of. So it's kind of close to where the Hollywood sign is, all right? Um, and got pretty dark oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming down <laughs> and I'm trying to use my iPhone for a light and yeah. it was pretty dangerous oh, so no. but anyway here's Michael and uh, here's just a good perspective from your pretty typical age grouper Right, well, I've been very fortunate to be in LA this week. It's uh, when you've been in LA for a week, you, you don't want to go home to the cold weather of Christchurch. But although we are heading summer, but um, one of the one of the highlights of my trip is hanging out with the Rose. 
Hey, the road, the road family. The family, you like that? It's very nice. There's <laughs> a nice ring to it. Could have bring to it. Michael Rowe and Sandra is his partner. They've, they've hosted me this week and they've been absolutely fantastic. So I thought I'd get Michael on because he is a listener of the show and he's also an Ironman triathlete himself. So welcome along to the show. Ten-year listener. Ten-year listener. Wow. Yeah. From day one almost. Yeah. How'd you find the show? Uh, just I think just by mistake. I was like searching probably training plans or something like that and came across it. Wow. So so tell us a little about your athletic career um, that got you into Ironman to start. Like what, what, you know, you're a working man. You've got a pretty demanding – I've been working with – or been seeing Michael work this week and he, the bloke, he works. <laughs> so first of all, what um, – what was the appeal of Ironman for you? Um, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I had, uh, I've always uh, surfed, I've always skateboarded, always biked, mountain biking. Um, I was living in Venice Beach and one day they had the roads closed off. I looked down the street and there's a bunch of people biking down the street. I went down to check it out and I saw people swimming out of the water and onto their bikes, and a uh, lot of excitement, trying to figure out what was going on, and somebody said, oh, this is a triathlon, which I can't believe I got all the way through life without knowing until... Well, you didn't even know what it was. No. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, so then I, you know, looked up online on uh, triathlons and uh, found a team in training, uh, signed up with them to get trained to do a triathlon and do some fundraising for them. I uh, did a sprint uh, distance race with them. Then I did an Olympic distance. And then I did uh, Wildflower. My coach at the time said, oh, Wildflower is harder than uh, some Ironman. So then I thought, oh, I'll just sign up for an Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> he was lying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so you're saying how you found the show was, you know, kind of this discovery process of, you know, trying to find out information about triathlon, and I think that's probably quite a typical experience for, for those who get into sport. How'd you find that first period? You know, you, you didn't even know about the sport first of all. So, how'd you find that first period in educating yourself around how to be an athlete? Um, it was it wasn't that bad. The team and training was a great way to learn. You know, the roadmap to to train yourself up to do a race. And uh, everybody that was in uh, team and training was really nice. You know, it was a great group of people. Is, is it still around? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, they uh, do fundraising for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Oh, wow. And uh, I still have uh, the friends that I made uh, back in the day uh, from my first uh, triathlon. I'm, I still am friends with them. So, wow. yeah, it's a good thing. So tell us about your first Ironman. So you did, you, how long did it take you to do Ironman? Um, from, from when you first started kind of training for a triathlon? I forget. It was several years. I'd say maybe like three or four years before oh, I, I did my first Ironman. So you went with the three-year plan, the John Newsom three-year plan? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're a wise man. <laughs> and so, so you're building towards it. You eventually kind of get to the point you've done Wildflower. You think, bugger this, I can knock out an Ironman. What was it like to do your first race? Oh, it was... It was actually, it was pretty exhilarating. I mean, we, we, I got a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, we're going to go to Brazil and do Brazil. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do my first Ironman, if I can't do Hawaii, it's, I'm going to go somewhere that's exotic and special. Uh, so I did my first uh, Ironman in uh, Brazil in 2006. 
And uh, you can find my results on Athlinks. Nice, nice. He's a wise man. He's actually got the endurance, you know, extremes next to me. Extreme endurance. He's a, he's a good supporter of the show. Um, and how'd that go? I went good, uh, except for the run. Oh, really? So uh, the swim was good. I did the swim in, in, in like an hour, five minutes. Uh, I don't recall. The bike was like six hours, I think. And then the run... Uh, I don't remember what the run was, but the total was like 12 hours and uh, 50 minutes. Um, it was actually pretty funny. So I start out on the run, and out of the bushes comes one of the guys that I went to Brazil with. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just got done throwing up. Oh, really? <laughs> so I'm starting into the marathon with, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I've already got one of my teammates uh puking on the side of the road <laughs> and it was actually kind of funny because he just took off and ended up finishing way ahead of me so it was a we post-race were you satisfied were you disappointed were you excited were you kind of you know what, how, what were your kind of feelings on the day um it was good i was so i was excited that i finished um and it's funny because the exhaustion didn't kick in until two days later. Like the next day, I was I felt fine, and then in the middle of lunch on the second day, I just it was like I got hit over the head with a bat. I was like, I got to go to sleep, and just conked out. So. <laughs> the perception overseas is is that you know American is very Iron Man. America is very Iron Man dominant. You know that. You know, the only real attention the sport seems to get over here from outside looking in is that it's Ironman or pretty much nothing. Is, is that true? And if not, what what is the sport really like in America? So, um, so I've done three Ironmans. I did uh, uh, Brazil, and then the next year I did uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and then the next year I did, or not the next year, but I took several years off, and I did, uh, last year was Germany. And um, I found that everybody, when I went to Brazil, it was exciting because everybody was in shape, ready to go. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this class of athlete uh, getting ready to do this race. The next year when I did Louisville, you know, we're walking to the swim start and I'm hearing, you know, I'm looking at people who are overweight, didn't, you know, doesn't look like they did any training, and I'm hearing things like, well, I don't know, I'll just see how far I go, and didn't really uh, care okay. about, uh, didn't really care about uh, the race itself, it was more, more of a, like, well, like it was a fun run, okay. you know, uh, and, <laughs> Played a long fun run. <laughs> and I've always taken my, even though my race times aren't awesome, uh, I haven't qualified for Kona, but, um, you know, I always take my races seriously. I, I'm not placing high in my age group, but you know. It's but your approach, your your attitude is, I'm here. To, I'm here to try to explore my best. Right. Yeah. And and, and what about what about like the short course racing in America? Because you know, like in LA, it seems to be a pretty good community. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you you know? And you're saying you get to race quite a bit here. So, what what's that kind of um kind of environment or, or community like here? Um, well, there's there's a good group called the LA Tri Club, and uh, there's they've got a lot of members. Uh, they meet up for a lot of the local races, and it's it's a good community. And there's there is uh, since the weather is good most of the year, uh, there's a lot of racing going on. Yeah. So uh, 
you know, in my training up for the Ironmans I've done, it's always been, you know, numerous uh, sprint and Olympic distance uh, races as uh, training races. Michael has a pretty exciting job, Tim. He works for a company that produces movie trailers and posters. I went into work the other day. It's very kind of cool. Um, it's also very pretty, pretty demanding. And you're, you're probably the typical Ironman athlete, you know, very demanding kind of life. Um, and then, you know, trying to fit this crazy sport around that. What, what are the keys to success for someone like you to actually fit an Ironman in your life? Um, it's difficult. It's, you know, waking up early and uh, getting an hour or two workout in before work. And at lunch, if I'm able to sneak out for a swim at the gym that's kind of close by my work, and then uh, after work, trying to get in another workout. Um, so yeah, just yeah. But at that time, does it, what are the like? Does every like? How does the relationship? You know, because like when I did Iron Man, I was in a place where I kind of made up a life where I didn't have to really do much else. So it was easy for me to manage kind of life. Um, you know, when people like yourself who are working really hard, and I know you and Sandra have got a great relationship. How do you manage all that kind of aspect of it? Well, I definitely make sure I. Uh, Scheduled time to to be with uh, Sandra, you know whether it's uh, going for a run with her on my slow days, or if I've got the day off, I definitely will take her out to dinner, or spend time with her. Uh, so she she's a big part of my training. Yeah. You know, it gives me that emotional boost to keep going. What have What have you learned about yourself through the sport? Um. Good question. I'm pretty deep, man. I tell you, you know. <laughs> well, I've learned that I'm totally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess that I'm. I guess that I'm. I'm. You know, when I put my mind to it, I'm able to accomplish things that, I guess, to most people, seem impossible. Um, yeah. What are the challenges you see? You know, you don't. You know, you did Frankfurt last year. I know you don't feel you necessarily knocked a race out of the park. Uh, what where's the growth for you moving forward? And, and how do you kind of focus on overcoming the little kind of steps you want to progress in? The biggest, the biggest thing, and I know John's talked about this a lot, uh, is is figuring out my nutrition because that just seems to be the one thing that gets me uh, in Germany. You know, the I should have had a better nutrition plan going into the race. Like I should have figured out what my breakfast was beforehand, instead of going down to the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, they had porridge there, which you know I don't know how they make porridge. So I tasted it and I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And uh, from what I could tell, they put milk and sugar in it. Uh, in Germany, in the middle of the swim, I started bonking, which has never happened. <laughs> Not in the swim. <laughs> uh, and then I jumped on the bike and uh, wasn't able to get any food down because my stomach was uh, quite a mess. And uh, not to mention, I think Germany uh, that year was, you know, one of the hotter years. So I, at one point, I pulled over on the bike and was pouring water over my head, and I said to myself, well, just get to the finish line and see how it goes on the run, uh, the finish for the bike and see how it goes on the run, and, um, oh, man, it was brutal. What's Frankfurt like? You know, you see the pictures of it. 
you're obviously in a big city. It's kind of like we on the show. We often talk about how these big city races, you know, Melbourne's just been cancelled. You know, we mm. these big city races haven't really came through as much as maybe WTC would like them to have. Uh, Frankfurt is the kind of you know the example to prove that it can work. What's it like to be racing in that city, and, and what are the crowds like and stuff? Uh, Frankfurt's as awesome as everybody says it is. You know, you you uh, the swim is just outside of town. You get on your bike and you you bike into town and then into the hills and uh, you go through these towns where there, everybody in the town is out to cheer you on, wow. um, which was amazing, and uh, you know you do two loops. Uh, there was you know, the hills aren't too bad. There wasn't anything crazy that uh, you know. Like I hear Lanzarote is supposed to be super yeah a lot of climbs and. Uh, but the the bike wasn't too bad. Uh, the run was nice along the river. Uh, there's a bunch of people out cheering for you on the uh, the river. It's Frankfurt was definitely lived up to its reputation as uh, as a great race. Was it cool to see? Because you know it's one of those championship races. Did it actually have? You know you've done Brazil. You've done was it Coeur d'Alene? Uh, Louisville. Louisville. Sorry. Um, and then you go to a championship race. Did did it feel different? Um. There was, I just felt like there was more buzz at the Germany race and at Brazil than than Louisville. Like I said, it just there was more people totally ripped and in shape yeah. versus Louisville where it just kind of seemed like uh, you know, like a regular age grouper race, so if, if someone listening to the show who maybe hasn't done that first time in, they might be done, you know, done their half and they're thinking about doing an Ironman. Uh, and, and similar to you, you know, got a life, got a job, you know, got demands. Uh, what would be some of the tips that you'd give to them around, you know, being successful in, you know, training and doing your own Um, I, I don't know. I think I think recovery was. Uh, I ended up taking more days off than I normally. You know, like normally I'm training six days a week, but I found taking uh, two days a week off uh, seemed to help out and. You know, if I felt that that I was close to injuring myself, like on runs and stuff, because I've got a, a bit of a hamstring issue, um, I would I would back off. Um, I don't know. That's that's about it. Well, no, no, because no, no, it's actually a really important message here. Because often what we find is that. Our identity is based on how much we're doing our program. If you know what I mean. And if, mm-hmm. did you use a coach? Have you used coaches, or you're kind of. I used to coach for uh, the first two races, but not for um, Germany. And, and so when we, when, you know, we get these programs, and people think that if I don't do it, I'm almost failing. If you know what I mean. And what you're right. kind of saying there is that for you, I had a, a bigger perspective of I need to manage my body through this. And it's if I miss a session, it's not the end of the world because often right. that's what happens. And then people make compromising choices after the fact, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so mentally, how were you able to allow yourself? Did we just that perspective allowed you to have, kind of sit in that place? I mean, granted, there was uh, definitely towards, as the race got closer, there was, uh, you know, I think that's that's where a coach comes in. It's a little therapist uh, yeah. help because you're like, did I train enough? Did I do enough workouts? I, I should probably go on one more super long ride or, you know, <coughs> you know, I, I kind of did overkill by digging the archives of I Am Talk, listening to, <laughs> you know, listening to old interviews on training and stuff. And, uh, 
you know, I think that's where a coach would come in handy is, uh, you know, I'm sure John would say stop stop listening to every single podcast there is out there and uh, just focus. It is hard, isn't it? Because there's so many kind of contradictory messages. Look, look, oh, look totally. at nutrition there. And, it's, um, and I always think that if, you're gonna, if you are going to invest in a coach, you're investing in their philosophy. And I think one of the most frustrating things about being a coach is when you get athletes who have read something on the internet and, oh, but I read this. And then, you know, because you can always find articles to basically kind of, you know, kind of back up your argument. But at the same time, when you are investing in a coach, you are investing in someone who you believe has a philosophy that can help you there. And, you know, if that's right for you, then it's going to work, isn't it? So, um, what's the next thing? What's what's kind of the goals moving forward? Uh, Last night, I actually emailed my wife, uh, Ironman Canada and Whistler. Uh, She hasn't responded. (laughs) 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 So I'm kind of hoping to, I'm hoping to get in uh, another Ironman for next year. Um, That's what's about July, July. is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Why that race? Uh, Sandra has work up in Whistler, so. convenient. uh, Trying to, you know, trying to work. Well, that was part of signing up for Germany was, um, you know, I don't want it to be all about me. So, you know, Sandra had lived in Germany for a while. She had friends there. So, you know, this way it's a kind of give and take. Uh, There's so many races, you know, I'm sure that if you have got a spouse, you can find a place that she wants to go and make it work. Yeah. So it's relationship 101 here team so yeah, yeah you know <laughs> think of others you know it's, it's, it's good stuff well Michael first of all thank you so much for having me and uh, Sandra having me here this week it's been a, an absolute blast uh, good luck in getting to Worcester first of all I'm sure Sandra will be very understanding <laughs> and then moving forward with what happens there um, any, any want to say hello to anyone or anything like that um, I don't have any sponsors uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nathan's isn't it uh, I I do wear native shoes. They're awesome for, uh, recovery shoe for after your workouts. So I've just uh, been given ap- a pair. They're very cool. After a long run, uh, you s- throw those on, and they're also great for traveling. Like if you're going through airports, they're super easy to take on and off, and they're stylish. They look good. That's the that's the bigger point. Fashion before fashion and function. Exactly. That's, that's what we're going for. Hey, well, Michael, thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, we'll see you sometime in the future again. Hey, can you give me a fifty percent off coupon for John Newsome training? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah it's, it's only a thousand dollars an hour, so that we five hundred an hour. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. One thing that was really cool about Michael was he works for a, a, movie, a studio that produces uh, trailers yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was awesome going into his work. Yeah? Yeah, man. Like Because I went and just kind of checked out his work and it must be cool to work in an industry where you're lots of creative people. Mm-hmm. Although he, he can often work long days. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's the industry, I think. Um, anyway, Jombo, what's next? Questions uh, and answers. Don't, I really think, ha- don't really have any. I, I, think, I, I think I chucked a couple at the end. Oh, did you? Yes, I think I did. Okay, Adrian Maisie's just got one point to consider around the popularity. So a few weeks ago, I was talking about popularity mm-hmm. in regards to slots in Europe and the US. And Adrian Maisie's just got one point to consider is the population of Western Europe is 400 million to the US, 350 million. The sport is far more popular in certain cultures. So I don't think it's fair to say that Europeans, definitely to include some of the outlying countries, are getting the short end. The Russians don't really participate in Ironman, nor do the Turks. And if they did, I'm sure someone would put on a race here so for those countries who participate mostly western europe i think the number of races is relatively comparable 
Uh, and considering that it is larger landmass wise in Western Europe, Americans need to travel further to do races. I think if you compare United States to EU countries, then that's a much better comparison. So California versus England, for example, or simply the number of Europeans that get in versus the number of Americans. Europe is comprised of a number of different states effectively, just like the US. The difference is that the US states are united. P.S. I think that we missed Paul and use newbie Fraser when we were talking about pros who won three more Konas. Quite possible. Yeah, which is probably is quite possible. So, yeah, this is point. Uh, and then Mike Swizzle, the Pizzle. Swizzle Pizzle, yeah. Swizzle Pizzle, that's yeah. a good nickname. Yeah. Over the last few weeks, you guys have been doing some discussion around whether listeners are interested in non-triathlon-related sports. He's just saying, as an Australian currently living in Singapore, I really enjoy hearing some of the banter about you guys of Cricket Rugby League and the Poms that beat us in the Rugby League. Yeah. Yeah, they beat us. Pretty Although cool. we put a second-class team on. Yeah. But still, they beat us. Uh, sailing, whatever happens. So he thinks we should have a segment this week in sport. Well, Michael, I'll tell you one thing for nothing. For nothing? He's not going to charge you for this one? If we beat you guys in the cricket this week... You're not going to hear the end of it. <laughs> you're going to hear more about that than the rugby. Because the rugby, we kind of we are the best team. doesn't mean we were going to win, but we were the best team in the yeah. tournament. It's kind of like you guys beating us in the World Cup cricket final. Yeah. Like, if New Zealand won, it would have been phenomenal, but no, no one in New Zealand really thought we were going to win. Mm. We're, we'd had a lot of hope. Mm. But and vice versa with the rugby. Whereas with this, the the test coming up, is it the night game this week? No, it's at the Gabba. Okay, the Gabba. What time of day is that going to be? Is, that, is, that, uh, is the Gabba Adelaide? No, that's Brisbane. Okay, it's uh, be two hours. A couple of hours. Yeah, a couple of hours difference. I can see myself losing a bit of time this week, John. Yeah. As long as we're competitive. If we're not competitive, you turn it off. Yeah, the Aussies have already tried to derail us by putting us on an inferior pitch for our warm-up game. Nah. They had to get cancelled. Bloody Aussies. Bloody Aussies. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, Jumbo, what you got? Oh, uh, patrons, we patrons, we haven't got any patrons this week, John. No, nope. we, we do love your patrons. But and you know who you are, and we really do love you. You guys are absolutely awesome. If you aren't a patron and you've been thinking about it, well, sort your crap out. First yes. of all, organise your life so you get it done. And then secondly, um, go to www.iamtalk.me. There's a page where it all is clearly laid out for what you can do, the options you can choose. With the different options, there's different rewards, and you also go into the draw to come and hang out in Kona with the boys next year. Mm-hmm. So be good times rock and roll. Nice. Uh, sponsors? Ethlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Lactic buffer. Yes. Jumbo, what you got? No, guys, nothing happened at the weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, so just, the marathon. Just the rugby. The marathon. <laughs> John DNF'd. Uh, what happened, mate? How often have you DNF'd in your life? It's embarrassing DNF'ing. It is. And I you, did consider it pretty seriously when I was out there and I was going, DNF'ing is not a good look. No. Really not a good How look. How often have you DNF'd in your life? Belinda asked me, it's been very few. I've had a couple of forced DNFs through like crashes reason. and yeah. stuff like that. Well, it's not, that's different. And As in just weakness because you're a weak person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weakness as being a weak person, that has not happened many times. And this one was a bit of a com. Lay out the excuses and I'll start throwing some okay. samples. Well, oh, no. <laughs> how are your legs? <laughs> so, first thing was this year was supposed to be all about the running. I was basically. You had lined this race up? Yeah, I had. And I said, from January on, it's basically going to be a 10 month project to try to get myself in smoking hot form for the Auckland Marathon and try to yes. run, you know, about 235. I now, thought, John, I, thought I looked at the results. You would have put off the top 10. I was in 10th place. I was, uh, I've got to take a, a bit of a shot at marathon running in New Zealand. It's pathetic. I was, I was in 10th place. It was basically a group in front of me. There was, I think there's probably seven, eight, seven or eight in there. Yep. And then there was 
one guy in between them, and then there was then there was me. And then I did get passed by one guy before I completely lost the plot. Yeah, but I think if you'd, if you'd let's if say it, you pulled off your goals, I'm, I'm going to do some research. So tell yeah, me about No, no, if I'd, I, I would have been seventh, I think, seventh or eighth. Mate, no, I was awesome. embarrassed for the runs. I was going, and at one stage, I was completely sold. At like 3K, I was completely by myself going, come on, I've got to have somebody to run with here. Come on. And then as we're getting towards the, the bridge, sort of maybe 10K in, I, I, was, I think I'm actually pulling in these leaders a bit. I was going, come on. Come I'm on. really not a very good runner. Anyway, this year was all about running. Well, no, you're, you are a good runner, but well, not of that level. Not really. I will tell you. Oh, no, anyone who runs under three hours is a good runner. But as, uh, the first two or three girls at New York Marathon would have won the Auckland Marathon. So wait a second. So let's look at this. So what time was your goal time? Mm, if, you had, if, dream- you had, if you'd had the year you'd dreamed of. Oh, about 2.35. Okay, you would have got seventh. You would have got eighth. Hmm. And, Pretty good. Uh, yeah, so anyway, the standard of running in New Zealand is not particularly high. Although one thing to say, it was an exciting finish. Three guys within like mm. 30 seconds of each other. Mm. So anyway, this year was all about running, and we're going to try to run fast there. Started off pretty well. I was running some good mileage at the start of the year, and was sort of hitting 100k a week, feeling pretty good about it. And I can't remember when I first injured my calf. No, I can actually. It was it was in May. Boom, blew the calf out. Oh. Because you were going to another marathon, weren't you? Were you going to cro- uh, yes, it was. Yeah. So that took me out of running for a month. Then I was in Kona in June. thought I was just easing back into it. Yeah. Boom, blew oh. the calf again. Someone's shooting at you, John. <laughs> and that was when I'd only just got back into it. So that was effectively two months out. And then so when I think maybe late July, I sort of was able to get back into running. Started to get my groove back. Ran a good 10K race, thinking this is okay. Built up, ran a really good three-hour run, and thinking, right, I'm back in the game. Oh. Boom. Oh. And this is five weeks out. Oh. And so then I have three weeks completely off running, and then I have two weeks to go before the race. So what do you do? Do you go, do you know what? Do I just kind of base it on the fitness I have, or do I take a risk and give it everything for a week or so? I said, hand me the dice, Bevan. <laughs> Roll the dice. And my, my rationale here was... Running a hard marathon, you've got your legs have got to be tough and hardened up. So I thought I'd do a few tough sessions in the, this one week where I could get the running back in. So when you said tough session, what were you doing? Were they distance or just hard? Well, the first one was three by five k on the treadmill at just but slower than race pace. It wasn't anything nuts, and it went quite well. And I thought this is okay. Hey, I'm, I'm here. But then I'm not going to see any of this race. <laughs> but then the next day, my quads were a bit sore. And when I was then I was running every second day, ran again, quads still a bit sore. And second day again, quads are really sore now, and I'm a week before the race, and I'm talking really significant soreness so in my quads. Just because you haven't done your impact. I hadn't, I'd had Hard. three weeks of no impact, and then I went straight back into doing Hard, running, yeah. which I knew the consequences, but I thought, keep running every second day. And you know when you'd run often, it helps your recovery? Yeah. It wasn't happen. really happening. And about Thursday before the race, I was – Jeez, my legs are still just a little bit sore here. But by the time I got to race day, I was actually felt quite good. Yep. Started off the run, running along, and the first um, 10Ks is quite undulating. And I was pretty much on pace, sort of a couple of seconds here or there. Uh, I had my watch on 3K auto lap. And so sort of one 3K, I'd be a little bit down because it may be a bit hillier. Then the next 3K would be about right. So the aim was to get to um, the bridge and sort of be on pace and then sort of see what happened. That was around about uh, 12 to 15k in. And I was on pace, thinking this is okay. So wait, half hour into it? So about 12 to 15k. I think the bridge is about 15k. And so you're still aiming for a 235? 
Uh, no, I'm, I'm running for a two. I'm running on a two thirty eight pace schedule. Two thirty eight, two thirty nine. It's going right. It's going okay. Effort is not uh, overly hard. I'm gonna do this, and I'm thinking. Um, I, I knew it was gonna get hard later on. And then um, this dude, this dude caught me just before the Harbour Bridge, and this was when the headwind was was picking up. And I thought I've got to hang on to this dude because if I don't, yep. I'm gonna be running solo. Stayed with him up the bridge. And he just put the afterburners down the bridge and I thought, I've just got to go for it. So I went for it, managed to hang on to his tail just. And then round about sort of 17Ks, I'm going, my ITBs and quads are starting to hurt a bit, but I'm still on pace. This yeah. is going okay. Yeah. Then this dude dropped me. I get to about 20K and I went through 21 and 1, one hour 20 and I was aiming for 119. So I was a little bit off, but I was thinking, yeah, this is acceptable. Yep. It's not great, but it's acceptable. Finish it strong, John. And then... Within about two Ks, my quads went. For you guys who have experienced an Ironman, you know when your quads go and post-race, they're incredibly sore. In Ironman, it's not really game over. You can kind of handle it because you're not going that fast. Well, yeah, because just, you just end up plotting, don't you? Mm. Yeah. And you, give, you can give away. You know, you might be giving away 10 seconds a K or something like that, but it's not, yeah, and you can handle it. By 22 Ks, I was just pretty much in agony and my, then my calf started to go as well but 20 next next chaos so it was just every step was agony and I was just crawling and my calf was getting a bit sore and and sort of then shortly after that I thought I think I'm going to do myself some serious damage if I keep going and I really didn't want to spend another month two months not being able to run and also spending the next 20 k's in agony for a very very mediocre result so dnf'd very so was it a week it is hard yeah like emotionally because you know like a lot of our characters and the fact that you know we mm. are the people who push through mm. and i've done and I, and I like to think i'm pretty good at pushing through and well, can push myself the limit a lot Really, just main thing for me was I just did not want to be injured for another six to eight weeks, yeah. and I wasn't going to get what I wanted out of the race, and I just canned it. Well. So not good, not a good example to set. But I'm actually pretty comfortable with my decision because my calf is so, <laughs> progressively yeah, more sore. This year has sore. been a bit of a frustrating it's year for you, hasn't it? Really so, frustrating. So, so what, what, what to move forward? Epic from? camp is the goal now. I'm going to do some try, try racing. Yep, try oh, yeah, racing. Are we doing, our, are we doing our thing? We are. I'm just trying to sort out my summer. I've got too many bloody commitments at the moment, but it's going to happen. It is, okay. um, we, but more likely, it's going to happen in April. And more, what I'm thinking is, we'll do our bike, and we'll do the run, and we'll do 38 100s in the pool. So if we're earmarking a date, I'm thinking the 9th of April that weekend, 8th, 9th of April. Okay. So that was that. Bit depressing, really. Not happy. It's been a pretty shitty year, actually. So wait. So what? Now just get back on the bike. Back on the do bike. Do some summer racing. Do some tri races over summer, just for fun, not not too seriously. And uh, yeah, it's just this this part of the year is a bit tricky with exams, and I've got the House of Travel Triathlon Festival, so the next month's a bit of a write-off. But after that, it's going to be game on. Game on. Okay. And thank you for the people that uh, support. There's a few supporters out there, and also for Hayden. I'm not sure what Hayden's surname was. Was it? Did it seem lesser filled with the rugby? Yes, it did. did. Yep, it did. It was very cool. They had the big screen up there at the start, and so it was. It was all good. I wonder if some people waited to watch the whole game and then started the race. We contemplated that, and we could have easily made the cutoffs if we did that. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> uh, don't know if anybody did do that. So that was the Auckland Marathon. Bit depressing, really. But we'll live to fight another day. Bevan, tell us about your trip. I had a great trip, John. So I went to Sweden. 
Sweden was a bit funny because I was kind of working, so you just spent most of your time in a hotel. Mm. Um, I did get out one day and went into town by myself, and it's yeah, it was pretty. Went to a place called Old Town, which is kind of an old version of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty cool. I lost my Visa card. <laughs> oh, don't know what happened. I went to this because I was in. I went to Old Town and they had this lolly shop, and I thought I'll go try a traditional Swedish lolly. Yeah. So um, went in Rome. So I went and bought this lolly, and I put out my card, and I said, "Oh," and they said, "Oh, we won't take visa." And I said, "Oh, well, so I got some euros, and I paid for it." And then I think I must have put the card in my pocket while I was getting my wallet because normally mm. I've always learned because I'm good at losing stuff. He lost his uh, passport once when we were in France. I did too. Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> so, so. I thought, oh, you know, normally it's straight back in your wallet. Yeah. yeah. But I must have put it in my pocket and then I was taking photos all the time and it must have mm. just put it in. So I, I kind of spent a half an hour walking around and then I went back to go to the train station and where's my visa? <laughs> oh, no. So I had to run all around the streets and it didn't turn up. But in fairness, the visa company were phenomenal. Mm. So I went back to my hotel room. I literally, because I didn't take much cash. I had yeah, like $80 cash for the week. Um, so I was a bit, a bit stressed. Luckily, I knew I would be a fine because um, all my food meals were provided, so I didn't have to pay mm. for food. So that kind of made a bit of stress go away. But I, I definitely didn't have enough money for the week. I rang Visa, and you know, you can't. What do you expect? You spent waiting. Mm. You know, they were amazing. I rang them, got in line, them straight away. They had a new card to me by the next day. Wow. Yeah, like the next day. Mm. Like you know, like I got. I probably told them at twelve. By 10 o'clock the next morning, there was a new card for me there. Nice. And it didn't cost me anything. So, I, you know, normally these companies would crap on. This time, these were absolutely phenomenal. Um, so that was cool. But the classes I taught John, did you, did you see my face on Facebook? No. I, I taught a class to like 2,000 people. Nice. It was um, it was mind-blowing. It was like... You are a rock star. Oh, it was definitely a rock star moment. There was, and then after the class, like I said, it was like my... Celebrity moment in my life, mm-hmm. and a it makes you realise you don't want to be a celebrity, mm-hmm. <laughs> and b, um, but it was pretty cool. So we taught this class, and it was just like this massive party. It was it was pretty phenomenal. And then after the class, we, we had to go do photos. And seriously, there was a line of people that we spent like an hour and a half doing photos. Nice. It was pretty crazy. So that was kind of mind blowing. Um, and then from there, I headed to LA and hung out with Michael and Sandra, and and I just wanted to get amongst it as much as possible. So I went to lots of Museums and arts. I went to the Grammy. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a, a Grammy museum, which is like the Music Awards. Nice. It's for Michael Jackson's jacket that he wore in Thriller. Wicked. That was pretty cool. Did you cool. like Michael Jackson when you were a kid? Outstanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, went to the Natural Museum of History or something like that, where they had all the dinosaurs. Your kids would love that. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal, man. That stuff blows your mind away. Mm-hmm. And then um, did lots of stuff like that. Went to lots of art and stuff, and then lots of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how's the belly? Actually, I don't think I put any weight on, which is pretty crazy. I I, I tried to not eat too much, mm-hmm. but it's pretty easy in America to eat too much. Mm-hmm. They, they do serve you pretty decent sized meals. Yeah, I went out for breakfast one morning to a place called Home, just by Michael's place, and it was oh, probably the best French French toast I've ever had in my life, John. It was yeah. pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I was pretty happy with my French toast. And then there was a couple of times where I was just busting to go to the toilet, so I went to like a Del Taco or something like that. Yeah. Stay away from that food, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you pretty much eat it and head straight to the toilet, so that was good. Uh, and then I went and saw some shows. I went and saw some comedians. and So I had a, I, I really had a great time. I really loved it. And then you know, I come back home and now I've seen my girl. and back into life, Jumbo. Back into it. But I'm off to Taipei next week, so then that's my last trip of the year. And Very then good. Taipei will be hardly exciting. i got to go. Get Belinda... Out there doing some exercise. What about the car? 
Oh, and it wasn't too bad. About a grand or so. Uh, it's, 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 yeah. What was wrong? Oh, something just blew on it. Just something. Yeah. So, so it's. it's I, just, I know nothing about no, cars. No. It's like, fix it. Yeah. Do it. You're the guy that go, oh, yeah, there's something like this. And you go, I know nothing about it. Oh, that's actually $2,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's Belinda doing? She's going for a walk. Tell her she needs to go for a run. The, yeah, are they the, when they were doing the marathon or the the training for their their big yeah. run? It was sort of a, a night. They were doing the nine one nine oh, minutes yeah, run, yeah. one minute walk. If she's going out gym today. They're going to do the nine minutes walk, one minute run. I think. Oh wow! It's mm. well progress. Yes, <laughs> progress. Okay, team. We'll be back next week in the studios. Um, anything else? That's it. What's up with the legends? We've we've kind of forgotten about oh, that recently. Oh yeah, no, I've got to get onto that. I've got somebody lined up. I've just got to get the old uh, reply from them. So I've got a good one lined up. Hopefully, oh, good one. Mm. Give us a clue. No, I'm Russ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, don't know. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kick, kick hard. hard.